Welcome to Group Talk, a monthly podcast conversation from the Small Group Network, focusing on topics relevant to small groups ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax and listen to today's program. Welcome to Groove Talk. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Carolyn Takeda, your host and the Small Groups Pastor at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Well, when my daughters were in upper elementary and middle school, they loved to watch this program called Mythbusters on the Discovery Channel. And it was a great show where a group of quirky scientists took commonly believed sayings or principles and then they actually ran experiments to test whether it was really true or not. So they tested all kinds of myths from movie stunts to testing things like um, you should never swim after um, eating. And I remember that being an interesting one because I thought, really, is this true? Uh, Or whether an icicle can really kill someone. I mean, it was just fascinating the different random things that they did and they blew up lots of stuff and the kids loved it. So as I was thinking about our small groups ministry, I realized we have myths and beliefs that we commonly hold. Um, Some of these are assumptions that have been around for decades and some are more recent. But these are these sayings or principles we believe without really questioning or testing them anymore, or maybe some expert says it and we just believe it. Um, So I thought it would be fun and helpful for us to examine some common assumptions that many of us hold about small groups ministry and to discuss whether they are true or false or maybe both. And so for this unusual topic, I invited my good friend and one of the sharpest minds in small group ministry world, Will Johnson, to join me. Will, thanks so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Carolyn. Appreciate it. Well, well, you know, you are a repeat guest, um, and I'm glad you came back. <laughs> um, you did a podcast for us on February 2016 titled The Best Small Group System for Your Church. And I don't know if it's the title or the content or you, but it currently has over 4,500 downloads, and it continues to be downloaded every month, which is very cool. It's actually because I've got such a face for radio. <laughs> Well, it, it is a really good overview, and I haven't listed it recently, but um, but yes, you you are being too modest. Um, by the way, you can find it, if you're interested in listening to um, that talk, you can find it on our Small Group Network website, on their podcast, um, and it was February 2016, or through iTunes on Group Talk, and it's still up there. So, well, you are a rock star Group Talk guest, <laughs> um, and you are from the Chicagoland area, and after graduating from Wheaton College with a degree in theology, I will move to Washington, D.C. and start working at Capitol Hill. He then joined the team at National Community Church uh, with Heather Zimple, where he served as a small groups pastor and is now the adult ministry pastor at Eastside Christian Church in Anaheim, California, which is so cool because now you're closer <laughs> to me. <laughs> we get to see each other a little bit more. We do. Uh, and you oversee um, not just small groups, but a few other ministries you put in your bio. Uh, you, your role continues to expand as as it does in many churches. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that that it does. That it does. Well, uh, Will and I met years ago, I think maybe eight or nine years ago, um, at a small group conference. And we just clicked and became fast friends. And, and you can um, chime in, but I think it's the secret is because we're both curious people who are really skeptical, and we also yeah. like to laugh mostly at ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we were talking earlier. You mentioned not everybody kind of gets our sense of humor that maybe is 
snark snarky i guess you could say um and yeah i think i think that's it you know <laughs> it is it is kind of i think people who laugh together stay together and that's one of our axioms maybe mm-hmm, they do uh, um, so we're, we'll have a lot of fun on this conversation i was so glad he was willing to have this talk with us because this is kind of a challenging topic and i wanted someone with lots of group experience um, with a great perspective from like a 3,000 foot level who sees things from a wide lens, um, but also someone who runs a small groups ministry day to day and lives in the practicalities of that. And so Will's like perfect for this. Um, and we've titled this episode, True and False, um, Testing the Assumptions of Small Groups Ministry. And we've come up with 10 assumptions or beliefs that are commonly held um, by people in groups ministry. And you might believe maybe four or five of them. Maybe you believe all 10, or maybe you're brand new to groups ministry, and you may not even heard of some of these assumptions yet. Uh, but regardless of whether you hold these beliefs or not, these 10 are a great way for us to talk about the framework and principles that underlie our current small groups ministry. So we're going to address these 10 assumptions in two parts this month. And here's a disclaimer. Um, these are just our opinions. And Will is an expert, but it's also his context and um, his opinion. So you're totally free to disagree or agree with us. Um, and we will not be offended either way. Right, Will? No, you, can be, you can be wrong. That is completely your prerogative. <laughs> wow, way to start it off with being so open-minded. <laughs> so, I, so I will try to balance that out. I'm not as certain of, of my rightness. Um, and really, the big spoiler alert is that all 10 of these assumptions are both true and false. And it really just depends on context implementation, and as you will learn. So here we go in no particular order. Well, let's start off with our most beloved assumption. Number one, everyone needs to be in a small group. And we love this. Why are, you know, <laughs> this is like the Bible for small groups ministry. So why is this both true and false? Well, we love it because it's job security, because if everybody needs to be in a small group, then I've got a job until the end of time. Um, no, I mean, I, you know, I think like, like small groups are obviously really important and really valuable. Like, I mean, I've, I've dedicated a huge chunk of my life to helping people find community to grow in their faith in the context of small groups. Um, in fact, I, you know, I often tell the story at my church, like I, I've met literally some of my best friends at small groups. In fact, of the three people I'm closest to, two I met in a small group. Uh, and one was a guy that I met serving in small group ministry with me. And so, um, they really are, I mean, they're transformative. Right. They have a profound impact on our life. But the truth is, what's important is community and relationships yes. and the discipleship that happens in those contexts. And so I don't think like, like if you're not in a small group, but you have those things and you're helping to provide those things for other people, I don't think it's like the officially organized group of 12 that meets every Tuesday night at 7 PM and has coffee and cookies. That really is what's critical. But here's the thing. If you don't in our very busy, uh, frenetic paced society, if you don't actually make the time to meet every Tuesday night <laughs> for coffee and cookies, chances are you're not going to be building that relationship. And so doesn't small groups then give us that um, intentionality that we show up even if we don't feel like it that day? And that in, uh, forces us in some ways to do what we want to do, which is to build those friendships. No, you, I mean, you're absolutely right about that. Like, it, I think small groups are a really valuable tool for those things. Um, and, I, you know, I mean, I'm obviously I'm in a small group myself. I lead a small group um, <laughs> and I believe it or not. And uh, and I've got I mean, I've got community in that group. In fact, at my church, that's really where I find community the most during this season is in that group. Right. Um, 
I've also had seasons where that that wasn't necessarily the case where like my small group was not the place where I necessarily best found community. And and there, there's some other value to them, I think, um, about helping to create something for other people or, you know, some learnings that can happen in groups. Um, and so there are times even that I'll be leading one where it's it's not sort of for me primarily. Um, but but yeah, you're right. They're an absolutely a, 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 an invaluable tool to to help make sure or at least push us towards those goals. Yeah, and I think we put this on the list because sometimes we can get kind of judgy and judgmental <laughs> about people. And I've done this where, you know, I've met somebody and I'm in a large church and they'll say, you know, yeah, I'm not in a group. And they usually, um, if they know that my role in the church, they usually say it with kind of a little bit of a wink, wink or an apologetic <laughs> or a defensive tone or something. And I think there is this sense um, that, it, you know, if groups are a visible part of your church, that if you're not in one, that somehow you're less than or less spiritual or, um, and I, I love your, your point though, is I usually follow up when they kind of respond that way. And I ask, but are you in a place, do you have friendships mm-hmm. that spur you on to love and good deeds? Like he was talks about, do you have friends that you can be real with and share your, your true struggles and, and prayer with? Um, and yeah. then it's kind of like, oh yeah, I, it, you know, sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no, or sometimes they'll say, yeah, the person I serve, you know, homeless meals with twice a, mm-hmm. a week, that's like my, my place and my person. Mm-hmm. So I think, I guess that's why we want to blow this myth out is to say, I think we need to ask that second question and say, do you, you know, have a place of community rather than are you in a formally structured, organized group? Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And I think we can even take that a step further and say like, is there a way that you're helping to cre- intentionally create that for other people as well, hmm. right? Because part of it isn't just that, like, are my needs being met, but how am I, how am I giving sure. back to this larger community? Um, and, and so there, I think that's a, a valid question to ask as well. But uh, again, that that can happen very well in a small group. Um, it can happen in other contexts. And frankly, like, let's be honest, it cannot happen in a small group. Like <laughs> yes. you can, you can be in a small group and not have community and not have spiritual growth happening Isn't in those groups. It's so sad, but I, that is really true. And I think we need to be honest about that. Not everybody's going to find their best friend there. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, as, as we recruit um, people to put into groups or invite people to connect into groups, I think we kind of gloss over the fact that it's a really great tool, like we said, but not everybody is going to, that's not going to be the place for everyone. Yeah. You know, I, I think there are some people that just that, that is going to be a really difficult context for them. Um, it also, you know, what I will often tell people is it takes, sometimes it takes, you know, trying two or three or four yes. groups before you find the one that's the right fit and don't expect to be best friends with everybody overnight. Like it might take six weeks. It might take six months before you feel like these people are actually my friends and not just some people that I meet on Tuesday nights when we have a talk and coffee and cookies. Like it it can take some time for that to develop and that's okay. Yes. And that's a great way um, to set those expectations. So maybe we would say, um, you know, that there's a form of a group that fits everyone, but may not necessarily be an organized um, program group Mm -hmm. in your church. So we'd yeah. agree on that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we but we still think everyone needs a community. So we're still securing yes. our jobs. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. So um, assumption number two, 
that studies make or break groups. <laughs> okay, so Will, you and I have both written Bible study curriculum, <laughs> yep. and we also write sermon-based stuff. Uh, we've been part of that world, and we're big proponents of good discussion questions. In fact, we mm -hmm. spend a lot of time making fun of questions that aren't very good. Yes. So we yep. know I've it's critical. Some of those too. Yep. Yes. So we know it's the, the discussion and the material is critical. So why do you do you do a big buzzer on this one? Uh, okay. So I the the ministry that I'm in, you know, we, we do what we call free market small groups, right? And the idea is that your group can be built around anything, whether it's you go hiking with a group of people, you play basketball, you do an in-depth Bible study, you know, you all like to go coffee tasting, I mean, whatever that, you know, whatever that is. Um, I think that that knowledge and understanding are important in fact a lot of what i'm spending my time doing during this season is writing a bunch of like foundational curricula about spiritual disciplines and the bible and theology because mm -hmm. i want people to know and understand that stuff but the truth is you you can have a really effective group without having like a particular curriculum that you're doing i mean jesus Certainly he taught things, right? And he like he, he led discussions and whatever, but it, it was about the personal investment that he made in his disciples and modeling how to live that I think was more transforming for them. And so yeah, I'm just I'm not convinced that like the content of the group is the be all end all. It's more about the intentionality that the leader brings to it. That's interesting. Okay, but Jesus was Jesus, and I agree that he uh he talked to anyone and everyone, and it really was these conversations um, that shape people's lives. But, okay, so I'm going to push back a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, if you study the wrong material, though, I think you can go sideways pretty quickly. Say you're studying material that's not theologically aligned, or um, everybody comes with their own um, thoughts about it, and there's no anchor for it. Mm -hmm. Like, do you think, um, even in your free market groups, um, are is the Bible or some some aspect of scripture once in a while, even if they're just going hiking, like or prayer? Um, there must be spiritual components to it that are give it some structure of like maybe something they're learning. Nope. Really? No, I'm oh, that's I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm like, really? You just hiking? You, you just you learn nothing? <laughs> No, so so what we say is that that each week um, we ask leaders, and you know this doesn't happen perfectly like every week. It doesn't even my own group right now. Like we're doing some activity stuff just for the summer, and we'll get back to a study in the fall. But like, and this doesn't happen perfectly every week. But basically, we ask that each week uh, there be scripture, prayer, and or story that are a okay. component of the group. And um, so scripture and prayer are you know kind of obvious. Story is really like kind of what's God been doing in your life recently? Like, mm -hmm. what are you learning? You know, those sorts of things. Um, you know, Revelation talks about, you know, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, right? And so it's that idea of like, that kind of stuff points us towards God as well. Mm -hmm. um, so so certainly there are, you know, there are bad small group curricula, right? Like there are things that can yes. lead people astray and we want to avoid those. And, you know, we do our best to to kind of screen stuff and make sure that we feel comfortable with the content or with the source that it's coming from. If it's someone that, you know, we don't know sure. as well or feel sure. like it's maybe a little questionable, we'll review it a little more in depth, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I, so one of the people who was most influential in my life, um, a couple actually, Rick and Shell Markham, uh, and they were my high school youth leaders. 
and they taught a lesson every single week and i don't remember what they said in a single one of those lessons like i, I really i don't i don't remember let's any be sure to send this to them <laughs> yeah i'll send them i'll send them a clip what i do remember is sitting in their house watching the way that they hmm. interacted with their kids around the dinner table who their kids were about my age and and, hmm. and watching like the relationship that they had with one another and watching as you know I broke their cabinet door off in the way that they responded <laughs> with grace and not with anger. Like, like I remember that yes, stuff yes. and none of that had, I mean, it, it, it was scriptural in its action, but there was no like Bible verse quoted around it that like suddenly made it come to life for me. It was bringing scripture to life that, that actually was what impacted me. That's, that's a great example. And I, yeah, I, I do agree. It's the content is important, but it's not the um, be all and end all, as you've said. So, um, yeah, I think that's good. Uh, maybe that the- by Carolyn's small group curriculum. <laughs> no, I think part of it is I, I think it makes us in, minist- in the small groups ministry feel like, okay, this is a concrete tool that we can give and that now we've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a resource we can provide and they need it. They do need some content. Right. Yep. Um, but I think sometimes we put too much weight on it or expect it to do a lot more than really what needs to happen is life on life. What you're talking about, you know, the transformation of watching each other's lives and and being vulnerable and all of those things, which really curriculum can help, but it's going to be from the heart anyway. Um, so well, studies are important, but they don't, they're not the make and break. All right. Well, I, Number three, and this is a little bit related, um, that there is a right system for groups ministry. So- you know, whenever we say there's one way to do something, we tend to box ourselves in. And you did a whole podcast, basically, <laughs> I'll give that away too, um, on your on the one that you did for us um, about the different systems you went through each system and talked about the positives and the negatives and the challenges of each one, um, and then basically encourage people to, to contextualize and figure out the best one. But we seem kind of, as ministry people, kind of addicted to finding the right system. <laughs> Yes, we do. So what's the caution here? Well, so I, you said a second ago that like, you know, we, we're expecting a curriculum to do too much or we feel like if if we just get the right curriculum in place, like suddenly everybody's going to be discipled. Yes. I, I think we think that same way about systems. Like, hmm. it, like if I've got just the right system, it's all going to work perfectly. And like my ministry just goes on autopilot or... Or, or or we really do like our system, which is a good thing, right? Like it's 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 good to sort of be bought into what it is that you're doing. Um, but what I've I've seen a tendency that people get really excited about their system and they tell other people about their system. <laughs> yes. And then they become convinced that 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 like their system is better than everybody else's system. Um, and I think for me, it's it's really a question of context, right? So. Um, for for instance, like I, one of the things that I would disagree with, maybe some others, like our our good friend Steve Gladen. I love Steve, <laughs> well, uh, but one, just, one thing I might just disagree went with there. Steve on. I did, I did. <laughs> so like you know, uh, Saddleback talks about having kind of the the five purposes all balanced within a small group, and I would say, you know, I think it's okay for small groups to fill a role in the church that maybe uh, maybe isn't being filled as well, right? So if your church has like a really, really good missions program and and sort of outreach pro like local outreach program. If that's not a major component of your small groups because your church body is serving in significant ways already, then I think that's okay, right? Like 
I, I think that that's fine. Now, if you don't have one, like small groups could be a great delivery mechanism for that. And frankly, I would, you know, I would prefer that 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 kind of serving happen in small group because I think it helps to deepen those relationships. I think there's something powerful about serving together. I, you know, I I believe in the simple church idea of like ask people to do fewer things and we do them better. So even something like, right. you know, rather than you've got this team I go serve with over here and then this community of small group people that I'm in over here, like merge those things. Like I'm all behind all of that stuff. But I also think like practically in reality, it's okay for like, you know, hey, if we've got super in-depth teaching on the weekend, then maybe we don't have to have like super heavy curriculum driven, you know, groups that are all about intellectual learning they need to be more community focused or vice versa, right? Like we don't have that as much on the weekend. So we're going to make sure that our groups provide a little bit more of that so people can go deeper. Right. So you adapt the system to fit. And I think also over time, like a brand new church or church plant um, may need a certain type of system first. Um, mm -hmm. Or if you're rebooting a small groups ministry that has died out over years and are starting over again, you're going to need a certain kind of system. Um, or, But if you're going to keep something ongoing over time that's been there um, and there's parts of it that are really healthy, then you're going to need a different kind of system. And basically it there's, I think we just kind of want the magic, um, you know, the magic pill, the silver bullet or something. And tip, and typically in life, <laughs> there is <laughs> other than yeah. Jesus, there's really yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think my biggest like piece of advice in this area would be to like find, find a system and then work that system. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think often, you know, we're, we're sort of chasing like the, the perfect system and we kind of give our people whiplash where like right. it's like every 18 months we've got a new system and they kind of, you know, they're not stupid, right? Like over time, they just kind of look at us five years in, they've seen four systems and they're like, I, this is just the latest fad thing that the church is doing or our right. small group pastor is doing and we sort of lose their trust. And mm -hmm. so better than the perfect system, I think, is the system that you work consistently over time. Now, there's a time to change systems. Don't like stick with one that really doesn't work. Um, but, but don't switch it up every 18 months because there's potentially something better out there. Yeah. And it does take time. That's a really good word. Um, things take time to work through and see, and you can adapt it as you go. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's, it is good to not give people whiplash because once you lose trust and they're like, Oh, you do your thing, but we're going to just be over here continuing our group the way we've been, yeah. yep. um, then it, it's hard to get that trust back. So I think it's good to say, Hey, we're doing it this way for now. And, and then mm -hmm. keep, keep working the system. That's good advice. Um, a fourth assumption and that's popular out there is that um, we need to start new groups, that adding people to existing groups just doesn't work. So there are experts who advocate this very strongly. And unlike you, I will be circumspect and not name names. <laughs> um, and I agree that it may be ideal. And certainly it's cleaner um, as a ministry to just have new groups and have new people bond together. Chances are they're going to bond better because they're all starting from the same place. But the reality is that most churches have a hybrid or have, um, you know, or have no op other option but to keep um, adding people to existing groups. So speak to that. Why is this both, uh, both and? So for me, I think this is one of those that's like, it's like a 60, 40 thing, right? Like I would say probably 60% of the time it's better when somebody's just in a new group and 40%, maybe, maybe it's or maybe it's 70, 30, but, but some significant percentage of the time, an existing group actually works out just as well. Uh, and sometimes even better for people. Uh, 
to me, and I, I have this really like leader-driven philosophy with small groups, kind of as goes the leader, as goes the groups and in, in terms yes. of you know, functionality, just how well the group runs in terms of the, you know, the spiritual depth of the group, all of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And so the advantage of a new group, right? Like you said, everybody's coming in new. Nobody knows each other yet. They're all looking to form relationships. All that's great. You often, not always with a new group, but you often with a new group have an untested leader or a less skilled leader because mm -hmm. they just haven't done it as much. Right. Um, and so there's probably a higher failure rate for that group as well. And so I've run into situations where like somebody, you know, somebody tries a group and and the group just doesn't turn out or maybe like, you know, we run our groups on semesters and whether you do semesters or not, like, right, you've got groups that that somebody starts it and it lasts for two months or three months or something like that. And then it, you know, it kind of doesn't move past the the first or right. second study that they do together. Um, and so I've had people come and say, like, I, I keep trying to join groups and they keep falling apart. And what I do is then I like go and try to find like the a, a long standing group that I think is going to be around for a while that I think this person would fit well in because mm -hmm. They, like they've been burned already and they're coming yes. back going, I, I want some friends. I want some relationships that'll last. So I, I think there's advantages and disadvantages to both. I totally get the concept and I don't, I don't disagree with it, but I, I think if you have that as sort of a, a hard and fast either rule or just, you know, 95% of the time, we're only going to try to put new people in new groups. It, it, that, that's probably taking it a little too far. Yeah, and that's a good point, though, that um, the experienced leaders, we've always tried to have a few groups that actually have like our star, rock star leaders <laughs> that are so gracious, can roll with anything and anyone. Um, and I love having them there because when we do get people that are harder, um, whether because they have challenges, life stuff, or um, just just things that, that make them more difficult in a regular group, then it's it's good to have someone um, there. Otherwise, they will um, likely blow up several groups <laughs> um, because they're just too challenging and too difficult. And so I think especially for, for that type of person, it's good to have a seasoned leader. Um, but in theory, I think maybe part of it, though, is the evangelism piece. Maybe we, because we like the idea of new groups forming and popping up and being exponential and all that, that um, it is much faster to grow a group's ministry if you have um, start new groups. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a church that has either a lot of growth or a lot of sort of unconnected people who need a small group, mm. um, you, you've definitely got to be starting new groups. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm starting new groups all the time. We probably... I don't know, we probably launch 100 new groups a year or something like that. I mean, you know, 75 new groups a year. I once in one semester, this was at my last church, but I onboarded like 70 new leaders in one semester. I mean, wow. and, and, you know, and that was that was actually I mean, at that time we had 150 groups or something. So like 70 new leaders, they weren't all leading new groups. Some were taking over, you know, that kind of thing. Um but but I was constantly like launching new stuff and I still am constantly launching new stuff. I'm, I mean, I'm all about that, I think. It's not an either or, um, but I also think, you know, thinking through what does this look like in terms of connecting people with existing groups as well is is an important question, um, even for the group itself. I mean, um, small groups, yes. impacts uh, book uh, Jim Egley and Dwight Maribel wrote. Right. And, you know, they talk about how like a group that's open to new people joining is 
uh, healthier over the long haul than a group that is closed to new folks. And now I realize, you know, people they can recruit personally and all that. It's not like the, we have to necessarily send people uh, to groups for that to for that to happen. But like just keeping that open heart and that open mm-hmm. mindset for our existing groups, I think is is important for their health as well. That's absolutely true. That's such a great point that it even though some of the groups are reluctant maybe to take new people, um, that when they do, for the most part, it really does open their heart of hospitality and inclusion mm-hmm. and challenges them. Um, and it forces them, the, the fresh blood can actually force them to grow. Yeah. Um, and that spiritually, that's a really good thing to remember that it actually isn't just for the new person. It may also be um, a, a boost um, spiritually for the existing group. And mm-hmm. then here's a fifth one um, is that small groups need to take a break in the summer. So people are going to be listening to this episode in August, which is summer for those of us who live in North America and the Northern Hemisphere. But for instance, in the Southern Hemisphere, it's winter. But regardless of the season, let's talk about this idea of taking a break. And I know we've had some interesting um, <laughs> and somewhat heated interactions on our Facebook uh, a small group network Facebook page on this because some people felt really strongly that taking a break is necessary so the leaders don't burn out um, and the ministry can, you know, kind of work on other stuff in that season. And then others felt like, well, these are your friends, so why would you take a break? And so there was some really lively discussion on that. What do you think? <laughs> uh, so... I don't need to take a break from my friends, but I do need to take a break from cleaning my house frantically at 6 p.m. on Tuesday. Um, That's an excellent point. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think there is a rhythm to life, right? Like, like regardless of what what culture you live in or, or, you know, kind of what your family does or whatever, like there there is sort of a rhythm to life. So uh, in the U.S., kind of a, a rhythm often revolves around the school year for families that have uh, kids in school. Even, you know, my wife and I don't have kids, but uh, my sister-in-law is a teacher. My father-in-law was a teacher. And um, so that same rhythm kind of yes. kind of ran our lives in, in a lot of ways for for or has run our lives for many years. Um, so, so there's sort of a rhythm of life. We, we, you know, people tend to kind of both speed up and slow down at the holidays, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so between, again, in America, between Thanksgiving and Christmas and into New Year's, um, there, there's kind of a, a frantic, I'm trying to see everybody and go to all these parties and get everything done and ready for Christmas. And at the same time, like, I'm trying to slow down and enjoy this season and enjoy family. And so, like... I think it's okay to say, what are the rhythms of life? What makes sense for um, for our group? If we're the small group members or small group leader trying to figure that out, or you know, if we're the the small group pastor uh, or director or whatever, like what makes sense for my church and for my community? So, um, so my group is meeting this summer, um, and we're just going to do an activities. Like I said, we're doing fun stuff. So we were at the yes. beach. Uh, you know, we're going, we're going roller skating, which I will just sit at the table and talk to people when they take breaks. Cause I'm not going to do that. Um, you know, we're going to have everybody over for a barbecue for the last week, uh, of our group meeting this summer. Um, and so, so we switched things up a little bit and then we will take a break during August. Right. And like, we're not going to meet every week. We, you know, people will still maybe see each other a little bit. We might grab dinner one night or something. It's not like, you know, we're not allowed to hang out. Um, but the sort of regularly planned, regularly programmed thing as people are getting back into sort of their normal routine for the fall. Um, I think that's okay. I don't think your small mm-hmm. group needs to meet on December 23rd, right? Like it, it's okay <laughs> for you to recognize the rhythm of life. Um, and so we like, you know, in, in my ministry, we plan in, um, breaks kind of over the holidays. Uh, we plan in a break during May and then we plan in a break during August. 
Yes, um, I, I think the seasons of life thing and asking your group um, what is helpful to you. Our retiree groups actually want to continue on because um, mm-hmm. they don't have as many demands. Our young families, some you know, the summer out of school is a really hard time to try to get anything done. So um, we've allowed our groups to choose for themselves and then, mm-hmm. but still have encouraged that the friendships continue. Otherwise, starting back up again in fall is going to be harder. But by taking a little bit of a break, if they want one, we don't mandate it. Um, yeah. That sets the expectation that, hey, this is a normal thing. You, there's times for rest and times mm-hmm. for not frantically cleaning your house, as you <laughs> mentioned. But at the same time, also encouraging them to keep seeing each other at, at church or at the beach or other places. So you keep the friendships going, even while you don't have a structured time. And it is good to mix it up. So I think this is a good spot for us to take a break. And and uh, wrap up part one of this conversation. So stay tuned for in a couple of weeks, we will be posting part two. So thanks so much, Will. Thanks, Carolyn. Thank you so much to Carolyn and a friend of the small group network, Will Johnston. We'll hear more here in the next coming weeks. Before we go, let's talk about huddles. Start a huddle by the end of this month and receive free swag. That's right. I said free SGN swag. Huddles are like small groups for small group point people and are found all over the world. The purpose of huddles is to connect small group point people together a few times a year to build relationships, to find encouragement, and to share ideas and resources. Upon registering for your huddle online, we will mail you official SGN swag and one of our leaders will follow up with you to provide all the support you need. To get started, visit smallgroupnetwork.com slash huddles. Again, that's smallgroupnetwork.com slash huddles. Thank you so much, and we'll see you at the end of this month. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.